following podcast is brought to you on behalf of the Saracen Supporters Association and is not an official product of Saracens Limited. Content provided voluntarily by our guests and contributors are of their own opinion, which may change over time and should not be taken as fact, particularly as the podcast hosts are regularly talking drivel anyway. If you've got some drivel of your own you'd like to share, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at fezcast underscore SSA. You can search Facebook for the Fezcast or you can email fezcast.ssa at outlook.com. Listening to the Fezcast. Well, welcome everybody to episode four of the Fezcast uh, with me, Jez Denson, and joining me tonight are Barry and Sam in the Kamikaze Special. I think we're going to call this the Kamikaze Special because uh, which will come apparent towards the end of the show when we we talk about the uh, the Quinns game yesterday. But good evening, chaps. How are we? Yeah, not bad. Thanks. Um, obviously, you had a good weekend. Thanks to. Uh, results yesterday and uh, even enjoyed watching Worcester and uh, well almost enjoyed watching Exeter play today <laughs> <laughs> and you Sam yeah all good I, I mirror what Barry said the, the result yesterday made it uh, a good weekend it's always a good weekend when Saracens win ah, especially against Quinns isn't it but I mean there you oh, go absolutely um, we're going to talk about Quinns in section three of the show we've got a couple of more things that we need to talk about first up uh, and the first thing the news came out this week that Elliot Obiatoyimbo, and you know, as much as I liked Elliot as a player, there's a part of me that's saying, Frank Evans is off to Falcons because it's up to their fans' podcast now to pronounce his surname, which I've always had difficulty with. But you know, I suffer, I struggle with English as a first language, as you'll as you'll know. But yeah, Elliot off to Falcons on a short term contract never really materialised for him, did it, at Saracen Sam? Do you know what? And I, I hate to say it because I'm, I'm not a negative person, particularly when it's anything to do with Saracens. But I said very, very early doors, he seemed like a good fella. I just didn't think he was good enough. And I didn't think he would ever be good enough either. So I wasn't really disappointed when he left. I know that's a really horrible thing to say. Um, but I, I am glad that he's got got a contract. Um, I really am. You know, anyone that's come through the Saracens Academy, we, we wish well. We want them to do do well in their careers. But I I, I, ne- I never rated him. I never rated him. Um, he did. He had the off, odd flash of brilliance, but his positional awareness wasn't good enough for me, and his tackling was also pretty pretty poor. Um, but no, I'm I'm happy. I'm happy. Like I said, any player that's come through our ranks that, that manages to carve out a career, then you know we're, we're happy that they get they get something. Well, I think that's a fair comment to make as well. I mean, yeah, we've seen it with the Capoco brothers as well, and various other lads who perhaps you know that come to a to the best club in the country. And therefore, standards are going to be that much higher. What is good is that you see that other clubs who, you know, without wishing to sound arrogant, which is a bit difficult to do when we're going to say this, but, you know, lesser clubs, shall we say, like Vulcans or championship clubs like Coventry, look at players that have been at Saracens and know that they've got the right stuff, if not necessarily at the standards that Saracens um, demand, shall we say. So, you know, it's good business. If you see a Saracens player coming on the market, what do you think, Barry? You'd, you'd go after him, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the other side of that is um, there's not many we've let go and regretted afterwards. Um, we Our coaches don't make too many mistakes. And if they're not keeping... I mean, Elliot was, was a little bit unfortunate. Obviously, he's... I think part of him going this this year was was to do with the salary cap reduction and the, the fact that we just couldn't afford to keep on players who who we're not entirely sure about. But um, yeah, I, we our coaches don't make many mistakes. There aren't many people that that get away from us, if you like. Um, I mean, the, the, the one that springs to mind recently is Jack Singleton, but um, you know, he's we, we brought him back and and then the salary cap stuff occurred and we couldn't keep hold of him a second time. But uh, there. There's, there's not many we've regretted leaving, put it that way. No, absolutely, Barry. I think you're right there. And, uh, you know, but as I say, we we wish Elliot all the very best in in Newcastle and hopefully the two-month contract he's on will get extended and he'll continue a career in rugby union. Though I do understand that he's pretty damn good on the golf course, so could possibly make a few quid that way. Perhaps that's one of the problems, isn't it? I used to play rugby with a guy... Um, who was? He went to Northampton, played rugby Northampton, played cricket for Northamptonshire, 
could play golf, played football for Oxford United. He was just so good at every sport that he, you know, if he got a knockback, he just went off and did another sport and was equally good at it until he got knocked. One of those things that happens. Yeah, I, I, I think wish- that's probably how I ended up playing pub darts many years ago. That was about, <laughs> as, about as athletic as I could manage by that stage. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, I played Aunt Sally for many years, but that's a, that's for a different, that's for a different place at the time. Um, we do also need to have a quick chat as well about the game midweek Wednesday um, and England's Red Roses women demolishing Wales. Um, couple of big talking points out there. Marley Packer did Marley Packer like Marley, Marley Packer does, you know, but the, the all the women, superb, lots of good performances for Saracen's players. Hannah Bottman came on and just injected her normal level of happiness into a game of rugby. There's a woman who enjoys her job, isn't it? I mean, that's what's <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but the interesting thing there, I thought I just wanted to mention, we mentioned it on our WhatsApp group, 10, 12 minutes ago, taking off a player to play the last 10 minutes with 14 players. Uh, you know, I mean, covering all the bases, making sure that they can play under pressure. That's That takes some... Um, uh, some uh, 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 um, guts to do that as a coach, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think we, possibly the the, the scoreline would have helped with that. Um, but yeah, it, that was just one of the best England performances I've seen from any England side for a long time. And I'll tell you how good it was. Uh, as, as good as she is, Marley Packer, uh, you didn't really notice her that much. And normally, when you go to a, a Saracens game, you think, "Crikey, that that girl is that girl can play." And she didn't really stand out head and shoulders above everyone else like she often does in the club game or that England game because they were all so bloody good at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know, I, I, I've, uh, I was actually thinking when the result came in, obviously, like many, I was following it on Twitter and, and seeing how things were progressing. And I couldn't help but think how important it is, you know, in women's sport in general at the moment to kind of jump onto the coattails of the Lionesses and what they've done this year. Um, the spotlight is massively on women's sport and it's such a massive opportunity for the England women's team to, to you know, to, to perform really well because they they can, it, this is their opportunity to probably get, um, you know, a ton more fans coming in. Um, so, I mean, you, what, what else can you do but, but beat probably the, you know, uh, you know, a great side in, in Wales by such a considerable amount of points to to bring that spotlight on onto us and, and hopefully that will continue on into the World Cup and uh, and hopefully we go and win the thing which again should hopefully then just you know maybe even become bigger news because of what happened in the summer. Well, it's an interesting uh, point you make there and I think the pressure is even greater on the Red Roses than it was on England's Lionesses. The Lionesses were kind of expected to do very well in the football and did extremely well. But there were moments when, you know, and if they'd gone out at semi-final stage or whatever, everybody would have said, yeah, they'd done themselves proud. Red Roses are going to New Zealand and the expectation is anything less than bringing home that trophy is going to be a failure, isn't it? Yeah, but it's um, going to New Zealand to play in a, in a World Cup is probably not the easiest thing to do. Um, France will be strong, of course. Um, they were strong in the last couple of Six Nations as well. Uh, New Zealand have always traditionally been strong in the women's game. It's a, it's a tough ask, but I'm sure, certainly looking at the evidence in midweek, this team are well up for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's section one done with. Let's have a word from one of our um, ad- advertisers and we'll come back and uh, talk the wider world of rugby in section two. <laughs> Listening to the Fezcast, which is proudly sponsored by the Saracen Supporters Association, and I'm Alison Davis, one of the SSA committee. For a £10 annual subscription, the SSA provides our members with monthly newsletters, virtual and in-person player events, away match ticket allocations, and we organise pre-match gatherings at away matches. We sponsor men's and women's players, and we support the Saracens Foundation Track Club on behalf of our members. On top of all that. Every year we have a seasonal SSA badge, which is exclusive to members. Where else can you get that much value for a tenner? Join now at membermojo.co.uk 
forward slash SSA or come and see us on match day in the Oasis at the Stonex. This is the Fezcast. Well, welcome back to part two of this uh, episode of the Fezcast with me, Jez Denson, uh, Barry Payne and Sam Norris. And time to talk about the wider world of rugby um, and in particular two incidents in the uh, Bledisloe Cup match on, um, was it Thursday? Um, and which do does have, I feel, a, a bearing on what Saracens do and also the Premiership, rugby and everything. Um, number one um, is Bernard Foley. And this is a real big problem for me because I actually found myself agreeing with Andy Goode on Twitter for which I have taken myself into a corner, given myself a proper talking to and a bit of a slap. But Andy um, pointed out, um, well, for those of you who haven't seen it, Bernard Foley, Australia were awarded a penalty kick um, in their own 22. And then seemingly after quite some time and a bit of discussion between him and Matteo Reynaldo referee, plus he's sent his screaming at him to just put it into touch. Uh, a free kick was given against um, Australia for time-wasting. Um, now, Stuart Barnes brought my attention to it first on Twitter. He was very much of the thought that, well, OK, yeah, fair enough. It should be right. But, I mean, how many times has, you know, it been got away with, you know, Australia should be spin chips. And then Andy Good waded in and said, well, no, look at it. And I had to agree with him. If you look at games, we worry about how much time is taken out of the game by set pieces. We've been worried in recent seasons about the amount of time that's taken out of games by teams setting up caterpillars so the scrum half can be 47 feet back when he makes his uh, his box kick. Two areas of the game where time wasted is never looked at, and I'm going to criticise Jamie George here because Jamie George's wind-ups before he throws into a line-out, whilst the rest of the forwards are having a mother's meeting halfway up the pitch, to then the prop to run at three-quarter speed to tell him what the call is. I mean, that's one area. But the second area is the amount of time that fly-offs in particular take, getting the ball in their hands just right, having it at the right angle, making sure they know they pick up a bit of grass and throw it in the air. Just kick the bloody thing, would you? <laughs> there you go, just runs the day. I mean, what's your feelings on it, Sam? You know, how did you see it going? One of my biggest frustrations in rugby is like you say, those caterpillars, and you hear the referees shout very, very audibly, use it. And then 74 minutes later, the <laughs> nine decides he's going to kick it. And you just, you think, as, as a referee, I don't, I don't actually like to, to sort of badmouth referees because I think they have a really difficult job. I think rugby is one of the most complex sports you can referee. Um, and they do a fantastic job on the whole. But if you're going to give a player instructions, act on it. Yeah. How many times have we seen a nine be told to use it and, you know, it being actually saying how how long, maybe five, six, seven, eight seconds later, he still hasn't kicked the ball. Should should referees actually be be pushing at that a little bit more? And maybe what's happened on Thursday can, you know, obviously it has made news. So maybe it is going to sort of send those shockwaves out into the the wider game and referees might actually go, hang, hang on a second, yeah, actually... We are telling these boys to, to hurry up. We are we're giving them very very set instructions. They're not following them. If if they're not following a set of instructions that I am giving them as the person that is in charge of the game, then they have to be reprimanded. And do you know what? Rightly so. I think I think Australia were right to be reprimanded. I can understand why they're going to be aggrieved because everyone gets away with it. And yeah. it was that point. And um, I think it was there was something about there was something over the comms was um, Nick White said you just lost us the rugby championship or something like that. Um, and yeah, he's probably tr- it's, it's correct, but at the end of the day, instructions weren't followed, so they can't be aggrieved that much. But they can because you look back into the history books and you just see time and time again, you know, these things being done. So I can see it from both sides, to be honest with you. But I really do hope that it this is a little bit of a turning point in that regard because time wasting in rugby is one of the most frustrating things to watch. Oh, God, it is. I mean, and as I said, you know, when people put clocks on scrum resets and say, well, actually, you know, the ball was not being in play for X amount of time. You know, every time that a kicker takes 45 seconds to a minute over a kick to touch, you know, that is an awful lot of, you know, if you've got 15 penalties into a game, 
quarter of an hour could easily be lost in that game just from a fly-off, getting the ball in his hands quite right and the grass in the air and whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right as well. It's There is too many times where ref- one referee being inconsistent, you know, now Raynell's done this, he's made her off for his own back because he's going to have to do it every time now. But hopefully, I, but this is the problem. In the game of rugby in particular, and it happens more in rugby, although it does happen in football as well, is, is, the, is the case that everybody looks at the referee and blames the referee. No, the players have to take responsibility for what goes on on the field. It's them who are playing the game. The referee is just purely there facilitating them playing that game. And if they are going to, you know, and I've said it many times before, rugby is a game where you're in, where it's actually encouraged to cheat because, you know, I'd never played a game if I couldn't have cheated. But, you know, the referee then blows a whistle and says, sorry, Jess, that's illegal. You know, I've often said referees only ever penalised me when I was playing because they knew I was right, but I accepted what they said and got on with the game. The fact of the matter, Nick White saying to the referee, you've lost the chance. No, your player did. And, you know, learn from that and get better. Uh, am I being unfair on the players, Barry? No, I, I, I don't think you are. Um, it, it is up. The, the players have a responsibility, the same with player welfare. And I know we're going to come on to that in a bit. Um, the, the tackles that go in, they have to take some responsibility for it. I think we're almost at the point now where we're going to have to start stopping the game clock for scrums and for line outs and, and for, for penalties and just say, you know, you want to waste time, fine, but we'll be here till Thursday night playing. And the the, the call of use it, why can't the referee go, use it nine, five, four, three, two, one, scrum. Yeah. I mean, it would. I think it would cut everything out um, straight away. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And I think, as you said, Sam, this has prompted a conversation. I think it's an important conversation to have, and hopefully, somebody within the game has got the balls to actually have that conversation and, and do something about it. Because otherwise, it will just turn into you know they'll get rid of the set pieces, and we'll just turn into a um, you know rugby league sort of thing, which which would be rubbish, really. Anyway, let's move on. Barry, you alluded to it in your comment previously. Um, dangerous tackles. Now, one thing I'm going to say, um, the, the reason I say this is Darcy Swan got yellow carded for, and I can't remember which of the All Blacks it was, but he's out for nine months now, ligament damaged, where he targeted a fixed straight leg and and tackled it. Now, for me, that's a red card. I mean, there's there are all back supporters saying that he should get a suspension the same length of time that the player's out, which is slightly hypocritical knowing, you know, that you've got Sam Whitelock on the field who, who wouldn't be averse to doing something similar himself and has done in the past. And there's, there's a fair amount of um, what's, what's a, um, nefarious characters in, uh, in rugby throughout the world. I mean, you know, we've got our own players uh, at Saracens who've, who've been known to do the odd niggly thing in the past and that happens, but when someone goes out, we remember Callum Clark before he came to Saracens got a 32 week ban playing for Northampton after purposely breaking a lad's elbow in a game. You know, that sort of player needs to be played that stamped out. What I will say, <laughs> watching the games this year, is the height of tackles has improved. But seemingly they've decided to go. <laughs> and coaches being coaches have obviously coached them to do something a little bit different. But I mean, we haven't seen any particularly controversial head high tackles in the first two weekends of the of the Premiership. Nothing too much in the uh, in the, um, in, the in the in the championship down in the Southern Hemisphere. But suddenly, you know, we saw a leg tackle from Darcy Swan. And also, um, there was one on Maku Vinopola on the weekends that one of the Vinopola family um, highlighted on the Saris fans forum, I saw. So, you know, there's obviously an issue going around that people will do a bit of thuggery out there. I mean, it's the, we, we, you alluded to it earlier. This is a game that, for you know, has, has always had that ele- that niggly element to it. That you know, players that have got you know we use the terminology a little bit of dog in them have always been kind of fan favourites and stuff. Um, the problem with that we have actually a little bit with using that that tackle that you know whatever you want to call it um, in isolation on Thursday is that you know people calling for the player you know being 
reprimanded for the same period of time as the as the injured player is out and all that kind of stuff. It's hard because you can't prove intent. Um, and, the, you know, you can turn around to, to the guy and say, yeah, it looks very obvious as if he has purposefully tried to do that. But he can turn around and say, well, I didn't. And then, and then that's it. There, there, there isn't anything over and above that. So it's, it's hard. You know, we, we've, you know, all of us, I think, have, have played the game at some level. And no matter what level you play at, whether it's at the very, very top or the very, very bottom, uh, which is more my level, um, you, in the heat of the, of the moment, you do do silly things and you do things that you wouldn't do if you're just walking down the street. Um, you know, you, you put your fingers where they shouldn't be and, and all those kind of things at the bottom of, of, of rucks and malls and, and whatnot. And it's hard to completely stamp that kind of stuff out because you can't control human emotion, which is ultimately what happens. You know, you're running around a rugby pitch. You, you know, you're you're with 14 other lads that you care deeply about and you're all doing the same thing with the same badge on your chest and emotion runs high, you know, and 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 you do things that you wouldn't normally do. And unfortunately, in the, in the, in the top level of the game, you've got, 25 cameras on you and you're going to get picked out for doing it um and and that and it's it's really it's such a difficult situation it's a difficult question how, how do we stamp this kind of stuff out pardon the pun um because it, it is is actually embedded in sort of human nature that when you're riled up you, you're not necessarily always 100 in control of your thoughts we've seen you know in terms of going back to a saracen scenario you know somebody like owen farrell that you think is one of the most calm collected you know, players in, in world rugby, you see some of the silly things he's done over the years. You know, it, it doesn't matter who you are. You look, if you're in that situation, you, 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 you know, sometimes you will just do things that you probably instantly regret. And I'm, I'm pretty certain that was probably the case. I'd like to think so. Um, but it's hard to stamp it out. It really is. Well, absolutely. You know, and, and I say this as a player who's um, had a couple of red cards in his period, in his, uh, in his playing time. And yeah, you know, these things happen. Um, you're absolutely right. Uh, I think there's questions to be had for a different time around how um, um, suspensions are handled and how the disciplinary system works. I've written blog pieces about it in the past, but yeah, no. We need to give referees the power to deal with these things. So like when Raynell does the right thing in relation to Bernard Foley, you know, he's got to be confident that he's given the... the uh, the tools to do the right thing in Darcy Swan's situation. At the end of the day, Australia were penalised for it and penalised to an extent that they were at a disadvantage for a significant period of the game. That's probably the right way of going forward from it. Last thing we want to talk about in this section, though, um, another sad story, really, um, and the loss of one of the voices of rugby in Eddie Butler. Now, I know, obviously, Eddie hasn't got anything really to do with Saracens other than the fact that he was a proper rugby man, a player, a captain, part of the Wales team when Wales truly were great, when actually, you know, growing up, you, you put on a Cardiff accent when it was six or five nations weekends, as it were, because it was embarrassing to be an Englishman, um, but you played for the British Lions, but then went on to be one of the great commentators and broadcasters and writers about rugby and not only that also the person that you wanted to read out the the list of people who we'd lost on the BBC Sports Personality Programme at the end of the year so I mean what the BBC are going to do there who are they going to get to announce you know Eddie Butler's name but, but any memories of Eddie Butler as a from you guys? Nothing specific for me, but I mean, you're right. He was part of those great Welsh sides when, um, I mean, at one point, England used to do a lap of honour if we won the toss before the kickoff, for heaven's sake. I mean, that's that's <laughs> how good they were. Um, but no, I mean, a, a, a great man, clearly someone who who had a, a real passion for the game, both as a player and a commentator. I mean, I'm old enough to think that Nigel Starmer-Smith was probably the voice of rugby and um Bill McLaren as well to a degree, but um, Eddie was certainly the, the 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 recent voice of rugby, and I just hope we don't get more Jonathan Davis as a result. <laughs> <laughs> it's on, it's on. Yeah, so I, I don't I don't necessarily remember Eddie as a as a player, um, but yeah, what Barry said is, you know, when I when I was started watching rugby, Bill McLaren was definitely you know the the, the voice of rugby, and um, you know certainly I remember him from the old. Joan Lowry rugby games, which was which was brilliant. But but Eddie for me just I don't know, there's 
I think that there are so many commentators nowadays and they are just us guys talking. And I don't know what it is. This is going to sound a little bit, like almost a bit, bit strange to say, but he always had like a, like a poeticness to mm. his voice. And, mm. you know, they used to do like, you know, before the games, he, he, they would do these like weird montages and, and, and he would, you know, talk over the top of it. And, you know, it just, it stirred the emotion and you can't, you're either born with that or you're not. Um, and he and and he and he just had that talent for making anything sound like the greatest thing that you were currently watching, um, and I think that's going to be really really missed. And uh, when I saw the news, I actually I was actually more upset than I thought I was going to be because, you know, you, you I, I love hearing his voice. You know, he's he he commentated so well. He was incredibly unbiased, which you don't get from a lot of you know commentators, particularly on certain um, you know telecommunications related um you know ch- sports channels um so that was also nice as well the fact that he was a rugby man and whether Wales were playing or they weren't it didn't matter he commentated on the game in the right way um very knowledgeable and he just made it sound bloody brilliant didn't he absolutely Barry you want to say something yeah uh, I mean I can't say any anything finer about the man than he could have sat there and read out my shopping list and made it sound good absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's like listening to Richard Burton, isn't it? You know, that same voice and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely fantastic. Look, let's uh, in section two there, have a word from one of our advertisers and then we'll come back with the main bones of this uh, uh, first cast and uh, have a bit of a gloat over the mighty Queens. <laughs> This is Jess from the Fezcast to tell you about another one of my passions. I love music and I have my own radio podcast station, Taka Blow Big Radio. This is the home of great music presented by myself and my friends, be it folk, rock, indie anthems, progressive music, you name it, we've got it covered. So if you want to listen to some great music, tune in to us at mixcloud.com slash you're listening to the Fezcast. To the Fezcast. Well, here we are at section three of our uh, episode four of season three of the first cast. There you go. There's enough numbers to uh, scramble somebody's <laughs> brain, but uh, I think I got that right. Um, and we need to talk about uh, going down to the stoop and uh, and putting in a, a performance and getting a result against Quinns. Well, first things first, uh, Sam, you're, you're sort of like exempt from this. Last week on, on the first cast, it was me, Barry and Matt, and we basically turned around and said that we were a little bit worried going in, we're a Queen's team who had better preparation than us and we're going to be match fit. We're going to be match ready, whereas we were going to be slightly undercooked. We were expecting us to put in, I think, was it you, Barry, who said, you know, this is a time for Manu Vinopola, um to step up and, uh, and we were expecting it to be a team that, you know, shorn of our internationals. And then suddenly we turn up there we and we see the, the team list and there's Billy Vullapola, Mara Toji, Owen Fowle, Elliot Daly, Max Malins, Ben Els, you know, jam-packs full of internationals and, and Quinns with no Danny Kerr or Marcus Smith or Andre Esterhausen in their team. And you're suddenly thinking, whoa, okay, fair enough. And then we said, well, we'll just stuff up the jumper. And then we went and decided to play Barbarians rugby. <laughs> and then we said, the last thing we need to do is give Quinns a head start. And within sort of like 15 seconds, they were 17 nil up. I mean, it just goes to prove what do we know? I mean, Sam, what were your feelings prior to the game? Were, were you as pessimistic as perhaps we were? I, I, I was, yeah. I, I genuinely, I, Quinn, Quinn's, for me is you know whenever we play them it's just it's just basically 
80 minutes of anxiety, isn't it? You know, most of the time. Because as much as we love beating them, losing to them is unbearable. Absolutely unbearable, particularly if you like going on Twitter as I do. Um, and going into that game, especially you know, before we saw the team sheet, I mean, even after I saw the team sheet, I was still just going, oh man, I just, let's p- please, please pray to the rugby gods. Let's just get through this weekend. Because it almost was a little bit of a case of that. Let's get through this weekend, as you alluded to, Jess. Uh, Jess we, 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 we hadn't ha- and didn't have as much preparation as them. So it was kind of a case of we just need to get our season up and running. Would I have preferred a nice home tie maybe against Worcester? Yes. Um, but we got thrown in at the deep end. And let's be honest, before the game, Mark McCall and the boys would have said, if we get a bonus point win, we're happy, right? And that's what we got. So, you know, job done, really. And uh, oh yeah, would it would have been nicer to win by a slightly larger margin and not maybe have that first half yeah of course it would have been but it wouldn't have been a Sarri's Quinns game if, if we hadn't have done that right yeah absolutely I, I have to agree with you there Sam absolutely 100% first talking point though we really need to discuss is the availability of Saracens international players and the unavailability in particular of Marcus Smith now my understanding is that there's a number of protocols that both clubs would have had to have gone through to get clearance for those players to have played. Um, Hugo Monia, Lawrence Dalio, Alistair were very clear in commentary about the different protocols that they would have gone through. And they were also pretty clear in a criticism that I had to agree with in so much as that, you know, the first thing is the player has to ask for permission. And basically it's the player's representation and the clubs, it's the Premier Rugby and then it's the RFU, which is basically Conor O'Shea and Eddie Jones. And they make a decision as to whether those players can play or not. Now, Marcus Smith, if he did ask for permission, wasn't given permission, presumably because he played three games on the tour. He's a young lad. He perhaps needs more recovery time, needs greater protection than a battle-hardened Billy Vanapola or Owen Farrell does. But I can understand the frustrations of yeah, Queensland's looking at it saying, well, look, look at Saracens, typical Saracens, they get what they want. And poor old Queens, we don't. Whether that's justified or not, I don't think it is. But you can understand those frustrations coming through. I mean, it did seem like a complete horlicks, and there's not been a great deal of visibility about the decision-making from the relevant authorities. I mean, what's your reading of it, Barry? No, I, I, you're, you're right. We definitely need some transparency and consistency around it. Um, no one's... It's interesting to talk about Smith. I mean, everyone's had a go at trying to explain the rules and who makes the decisions. I mean, clearly, if Conor O'Shea is involved, he's not going to be doing Saracens a favour against Harlequins, is he? Let's be honest. But um, <laughs> I mean, and no one's mentioned Jack Noel, who played in all three tests against the Wallabies and has played both weeks for Exeter for uh, 80 uh, minutes as well, I think. Uh, Ellis Genge as well for yeah. Bristol, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know why, there, why there's an issue with Marcus Smith. Presumably, possibly, I don't know. They're worried he may be carrying an injury or something off of the tour. We don't know. Nobody's come out and said, so we don't understand. But, yeah, I mean, to us then look at our internationals on the pitch against Queen's Sean of some internationals. Yeah, it was it was a uh, one of those things, I suppose. But what I want to talk about next is the players that stood out in the game. And I've got five names down that I really want to discuss. Two names are very easy to discuss because if Billy Vodopoda hadn't got man of the match, Elliot Daly would have got man of the match. I think those two really did perform at the top, top level. We'll start with Billy. I mean, first off, I think if Alex Dombrant had stayed on the pitch, maybe it might have been slightly different. different. I thought Alex Dombrant was having a really good game for Queen's. But that just bodes well for England that you've got two quality big ball carrying eights with a little bit of invention about them as well. They're not just ball carrying eights. They're they're ball carrying eights very much in the mould of like Kieran Reid, for instance, you know, who has got that bulk and size, but also has got that ability to do things with the ball in hand. 
But Billy's second half was just a man possessed and fully deserving of his um, of his man of the match award. But Elliot Daly, I thought everything good that Saracens did in attack either came from Elliot or through Elliot or was finished off by Elliot. I just thought he had an absolutely sparkling game. And for a player that we've criticised playing at fullback, I mean, I've always said I prefer to see him at outside centre. I think his fullback positioning, albeit helped slightly by Quinn's kicking down his throat for the whole second half, but what he then did with the ball once he got it in hand was was superb. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he 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 never looked like a fullback when he played in uh, for for Wasps. Um, somehow or other, uh, uh, again, another player that we've a world class player we've got we brought in, and I think we've improved him, and I think he, we've given him that extra five percent, and he he now looks even better. He's probably in the form of his life, um, Elliot. But yeah, I mean. Billy was immense. He he was running on empty for the last 15 or 20 minutes. Every time he went down, it took him longer and longer to get up because he was just struggling for breath, I thought, at one point. But um, yeah, what, what, what a performance. Yeah, absolutely. You're right about Elliot. I think Elliot perhaps is a player that has benefited from being dropped from that England touring squad and has come back determined to prove that he is worthy of inclusion in Eddie Jones's autumn international squads. You think so, Sam? <laughs> Yes, I, I do. I, so even I mean, no, he, he played. He played really well yesterday. There's, there's, there's no, there's no getting around that. I'm, I'm the same as you, though, Jez. I, I still see him as his natural position being as an outside centre. I, I, I don't even like it when they play him on the wing. I feel like it's almost a bit of a a waste of of a game for him to to stick him on the wing. Um, but then you know we've got another incredibly awesome outside centre in Lazowski, yeah. who again, you know. He was. He was. He. He didn't really sort of show up that often in terms of he's not. You're not going to see a lot of him on the highlights reel, but he just did a really, really good job. And and I think, you know, last season, um, Daly and his his partnership with with Tompkins was really coming on leaps and bounds. And and in my mind, you know, in our best fifteen, Daly starts at thirteen with you know Goody or Malins fighting it out for the fifteen shirt. Now that we've got. You know somebody else in in Davy that can also is put in a performance like he did yesterday. Um, you know, it's headache for the for the uh, for the coaches, isn't it? it I mean, it's, it's a good problem to have. Um, but yeah, am, am I am I convinced that Davy's natural and best position is is fifteen? No, um, clearly though, if he sticks that shirt on, he's 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 more than capable of, of putting in world class performances. And you know, his kick. Won the game for us, actually. When you when you think of it, so yeah, crack, cracking player. Um, clearly, just as Barry said, I think we've taken him on um, to another level since he's come in from Wasps. And um, yeah, I love seeing him seeing him in a Saracen shirt. Definitely one of my favourites. Absolutely brilliant player. Now, I'm going to go for my last three choices uh, away from the backs. Although Nick Tompkins, you mentioned Alex Lavosky, uh, Max Manians, all had great games. Alex Lewington perhaps had a game that he'd rather forget particularly butchering a couple of chances, but, you know, those things happen. He'll come good. He was getting in the right places, which is important. But let's go to the forwards and three players I want to pick out in the forwards. Okay, it would be very easy to say Marotoji and Ben Earl, but they're just playing out of standards week in, week out. That you know, that's just what they do now. Three players I want to pick out. Christian Judge, who I thought had a really strong showing in the front row. Theo McFarland, who is, you know, becoming my favourite player rapidly, uh, Magic Theo. Uh, the basketball skills, particularly when chasing high balls or bouncing balls, and suddenly this salmon-like Samoan appears <laughs> about 25 foot ahead of, above everybody else, like Michael Johnson going for a slam dunk. Uh, you know, he, he was... Um, he, sorry, Michael Jordan. He was just outstanding. But also the other lad, other than the fact uh, that he nearly took his skipper out on one occasion, and I think he may have put a pass into a uh, Harlequins player by mistake. But uh, yeah, Hugh Tizard showed up well and showed an awful lot of promise um, and interesting to hear what Hugo Monia said, uh, especially considering the interview that um, Hugh had done where he said he'd come to Saracens to learn from Aratoji when Hugo Monia turned around, which, you know, I mean, he's a winger. What do wingers know about second row play? But, I mean, Hugo's pretty pretty switched on. He did say, that, you know, that Hugh Tizard does stuff that Aratoji does, 
but he also does stuff that Mauro Itoji can't do. And I think that's a lot to do with, I think my wife pointed out at one point where Mauro went on a bit of a run, uh, he said, he's not great with ball in hand, is he? Uh, whereas Hugh Tizard is very, very good with ball in hand. And perhaps it's something that Saracens haven't had in the second row for quite some years, is a ball playing second row. And you mix him up with Fiona Fadler, blindside, and wow, you're looking at a really impressive, impressive situations there, aren't you, Barry? Yeah, I mean, when when he breaks through, something is going to happen. And if someone can get in the right lines to support him, he'll find them. Uh, whereas perhaps Mauro will, will perhaps look to win the contact. Uh, you get the impression that that Hugh is is going to perhaps win the contact and get the ball away and put someone in under the sticks every time he gets the ball. Yeah, absolutely. Really looking forward to seeing how he develops. Although I do think he could be now a bolter for um, England's uh, certainly Six Nations. I think also the internationals may come a bit too soon, but um, Six Nations, he could well be a bolter for England, um, that England situation. Particularly looking at the paucity of partners for Maratoji in England, you know, uh, Hugh could be on that on that um, trip to France at the end of next year, I think. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's, he's certainly got a chance of, um, sorry, Sam. <laughs> he's certainly got a chance of, of, of making that. Um, I think a lot will depend on how long Nick Ezekwe is out for as well. Yeah. I, do you know, actually, I, I, I mean, I've been, I've been saying how excited I am to see you to put, put a Saracen shirt on for a while. Um, I didn't actually think he played that well yesterday. Um, not because he isn't a good player. I think it was just, it, it was his first, you know, competitive game for the club and his positioning was just a, a little bit off on the odd occasion you know probably uh, typified by that elbow to, to Faz in the face um, so I think that there is loads for him to work on clearly he's just an, an, an amazing talent um, so I think he'll only get better and better and better but the other two that you picked out Jez I think um, funnily enough when we were talking about earlier on about uh, you said Barry Saracens we don't lose too many players that we don't really want to lose Christian Judge actually when he had our short spell his short, short spell with us previously, he was one that I was actually disappointed that he didn't then sign a, a contract. So I was really happy to see him come back. Solid performance again. Just puts more pressure on those other lads that are, are looking to get, uh, you know, are all, are all fighting for that, that jersey. As we've said, there's a lot of competition in that place. Um, Theo McFarland, honestly, I actually, if I was making a choice, I would have actually picked him as, as man of the match. I just think he was, he was just star quality every time he got anywhere near the ball. Um, He's just, I mean, and it was actually, there, there was a point, I think, towards the, the back end of the second half where Hugo Monia just said, how good is Theo McFarlane? And no one said anything because yeah. there clearly wasn't a good enough word to describe, you know, the, 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 the you know, he, he's, he's a star. He's a star at a game and, and that's good. But one player we haven't mentioned, and I think he does fly under the radar a lot, that I think actually, okay, missed a couple of kicks and whatnot. But I think Owen Farrell had a cracking game yesterday as well in terms of just managing the, the emotions of the players around him and you know particularly when we went down you know he got us he got us back up and he would have been the man I think that would have been talking a lot in the change room at half time um, and actually the moment that I think won us that game was that grubber kick that he put into the corner in the final five minutes of the game when that went in I didn't say anything but when I was watching the game I thought we've just won yeah. because that completely pinned Quins into the, the worst part of the pitch. That's, that was where they did not want to be. And that was absolute world-class execution, thought process um, and everything from Faz. So I think he he actually flew under the radar, but I think there is a, a lot that he put into that win. And, and if he wasn't on that pitch, I don't think we would have won yesterday. I see not. And I mean, yeah, I mean, we could mention even Vincent as well, who I thought had a great game. You know, there's, there's lots of great performances for the last 60 minutes, the first 20 minutes will just knock off to being a bit rusty. Very quickly, just wanted to mention there were a few nefarious tackles, shall we say, a dodgy clear out on Ali Davis, which went completely unnoticed by everybody. Um, uh, but also the interesting one, we've been talking about player welfare and everything. And yeah, it was a bit of a comedy moment, um, fast deciding to tackle Q Tizard's uh, shoulder with his head. He went down, head injury, didn't seem to be any perceptible HIA on the pitch. I'm assuming there must have been, but you would have seen players going off for an HIA in that situation. So, you know, 
little bit of a concern there. Are the protocols being followed? Well, I mean, they, they have doctors watching all of these things and they, they watch them on different camera angles and, and stuff to the, the stuff that we see either at the game or, or watching on TV. And, and I'm sure it would have been looked at. Um, perhaps it's slightly different when there's, when it's a, a very much a passive collision because obviously there was no force coming through from, from tears. It was just one of those things where you ran into the back of him sort of thing. So perhaps it's different, but I, I'm sure it would have been monitored and, um, you know, uh, we, we're a better side with Owen. We always want to keep him on the pitch, but someone would have had a look at that. And if there'd been any doubt, I'm sure we would have gone for an HIA. Although I will say, in mitigation to my point, the decision to kick for the corner with a couple of minutes to go to try and get the penalty, uh, to get a try to take us uh, more than seven points away, I'm not sure that was a decision that <laughs> was completely clearly fought out. But there we go. Look, we mentioned at the top of the show that this is the Kamikaze show, and I think the comment had come back, and it had been seen on 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 um, on Twitter, I think it was, or or one of the social medias, that you know when we were in the championship, we played some Kamikaze rugby and got away with it. But yesterday was a completely different level of Kamikaze, um, and showed that. Saracens, you know, last week I was very critical of the Chiefs versus Tiggers game, where I thought both teams came out with the sole intention of not playing rugby and just box kicked after box kicked after box kicked. A tactic that Saracens have um, used themselves over the years, but which we seemingly have developed away from, and and which makes the final last year even more incomprehensible why we did what we did in that final where, you know, you're suddenly looking at a team there that has got so much confidence and so much ability that they can actually start playing proper bar-bars rugby, as it were, and win. Um, I think the point I'm leading to, though, is we've got Gloucester at home next week. If you're George Skivington, what are you saying to the Gloucester lads when you do your analysis on what Saracens did there? Because... You've got to have your defence on top form. And I mean, I hate the idea of defence, 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 because my idea of defence is to attack, which I think Mark McCall is doing with Saracens. You know, the other team can't score if you're scoring tries down the other end and you're playing down the other end, which is what you, what you Sam Faz's grubber kick was doing that, was playing the game in their end and attacking whichever way possible. I mean, I don't want this to bite me on the arse next week when we review what happens against Gloucester, but Saracens have come out with some intent this season, and that's got to be frightening. I think Ugo Monia and Nodge Delalio on comms yesterday on BT Sport, there was a look on their eyes of, we really don't want to overpraise them, but we can't really not overpraise them, and we're really worried if they're doing that when they're rusty, what are they going to do? when everything clicks. Yeah, do you know what? The, the 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 simple game plan of breaking the game line and offloading is, you know, it is one that is almost unplayable in defence. You know, if they, if you have a player that's breaking the game line and then they're offloading, your defence is always not going to be quite where it needs to be. The problem is with that is it's a very, um, you know, the high risk way of playing the game and you need to consistently be playing at the top level. You need to be consistently everything being absolutely pinpoint, which is why teams don't do it because it is so risky. And, you know, as, as we, we actually saw yesterday, you know, we, we were chucking the ball around a little bit in the first few minutes and, um, and they did a length of the field try off the back of a drop ball because it is high risk. So if we, we've shown yesterday, we can do it. Um, to be honest, I think we showed last, last year that we can do it. They were, they were our high tempo game is amazing. Um, I, I pick out the game last season when we went to Worcester and um, and I remember saying that the difference between the speed of the breakdowns between the two sides in that game was absolutely incredible. And I think that's one thing that Saracens are great with is, is controlling the tempo. And you're absolutely right, Jess. We didn't do that, do it in that final. We let, we let Leicester control the tempo and that's why we ultimately went on to lose the game, in my opinion. Yesterday, I think we, we thought a lot, a lot of teams are going to go to the stoop this year and go, we need to try and stop Harlequins playing their game. And I think we went there yesterday going, no, we're actually going to play our way. And it didn't come off in the first half, maybe because we were a bit rusty. 
and it absolutely did in the second half. Um, and you know what? If we play out that all season, not only are we going to probably win a lot more than we don't, but I think we might even end up winning over a few a few new fans, to be honest with you, because one of the reasons why a lot of people don't seem to like us is because of the brand of rugby that we've become associated with. And if we we completely knock that out of the park, you know, that that knock, that sort of turns out on its head, doesn't it? But, I mean, amazing to watch. Everyone wants to watch rugby like that. That's why everyone likes watching Quins, because that's what they do. Absolutely. You, you, you're, you're absolutely right there. And I do think, I mean, I'm going to say this now, second half yesterday, I don't think there is a t- would be a team in world rugby international or club side that could have coped with 20 minutes of that second half was near nigh on perfect rugby. And yeah, you're right. It's high risk. But if they can achieve that, we could be looking at something very, very, very special. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time uh, recording this. Just time to tell you what's coming up on next week's show. And we've got a special guest. So myself and John will be interviewing a Saracens Club cult hero. One of the very first, <coughs> excuse me, got me overexcited. I'm coughing now. But one of the very first club cult heroes from season one. Um, someone who my dad did the um, did the, uh, the the citation for, shall we say. He's the king of the remixes. He's one of the most popular players ever to have um, donned a Saracen shirt. And, yeah, he's an absolute great. He's moved on now. He's over in France. So we're going to test him on his French vocabulary as well, which should be quite interesting. But myself and John are going to be chatting to uh, Richard Baz Barrington. Um, So really looking forward to that. We've been trying to get Baz on the Fizzcast for about... Well, ever since we started, and it's never quite worked. Well, I messaged him on Facebook the other day. He said, yeah, well up for that. So we will be interviewing him, which will be going out next Wednesday, which is, I'm just going to check the date because I should have done this beforehand, but the next next Wednesday the will be the 28th of September. So our last show of September is a big special one with Baz Barrington. But uh, until then, I say, Barry and Sam, thank you for your time. Uh, well done to Saracens yesterday for an absolutely brilliant performance and uh, we can uh, claim make our claim to be London's club now can't we <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> unlike, unlike to, uh, Harlequins at uh, South West London's club or sorry North, North East Surrey isn't it um, but there we go uh, so anyway thanks gentlemen and thank you everybody for listening in and uh, uh, look forward to speaking to you next week when we're talking to Pass Barrington cheers cheers See you later. this is the Fizzcast Thank you.